The world is evolving at a faster pace than ever before. As we begin the path to recovery after worldwide disruption, this podcast explores how the design industry can adapt to changing expectations and create a better future for your businesses and consumers. I'm your co-host, Peter Marion, and you're listening to Create Tomorrow, the WGSN podcast. One of the places where we've seen some of the largest shifts over the past year has been in the home. Once a place where we might have just slept, it's now the centre of our worlds becoming a place where we live, educate, eat, work, and if we're lucky, have a little bit of time left to play. Well, attitudes to space are changing, so too are the lifestyles surrounding that space. And today, I'm going to be joined by some wonderful colleagues to talk about the big shifts that are taking place in the world of lifestyle and interiors. There's so much changing in this space, but particularly for us on WGSN, as we are speaking to the very busy Lifestyle and Interiors team ahead of the product's relaunch on November the 2nd. I'm joined by the director of our Lifestyle and Interiors product, Lisa White, who is based in Paris. Hi, Lisa. How are you? Hi, great. Thanks for having me. And how has your home changed this year? (laughs) My home? How has it changed? Well, there's a lot of people here right now, and we're all doing different things at the same time. Fantastic. I'm keen to find out more about this. And in London, we have Gemma Roberti, Head of Interiors. Hi, Gemma. Hi. Thank you. Um, And what's changed for you this year? Uh, 12 weeks of home parenting, I would say. That was the most intense one. But you survived. I survived. We managed to move home, get some outdoor space. So it's going okay. Thank you. That's great. And um, from the LA office, we have senior strategist, Alison Rees. Thank you so much for getting up so early to do this. Um, and what's changed around your home this year? I am happy to be here. Um, I'm same with Gemma. Like I've been having my son at home um, for that period of time was challenging. Um, you know, you learn about the new um, <laughs> the new ways you can stretch your space to to make it more fun and make it a at-home gym for a baby. But so far, so good. Hopefully we won't go back into lockdown. Fingers crossed, huh? Yeah. And last but absolutely not least, also in London, we are joined by Sarah Housley, a senior strategist. Hello, Sarah. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, Peter. And what's changed for you over the past year? So I have also been discovering the joys of childproofing. I have the the youngest toddler on the team at the moment, and she has become a toddler kind of during lockdown. So she started crawling and then started pulling up. And so I've been just protecting everything in the flat from her. So I've got all my plants in one corner surrounded by a sofa so that she cannot get to the plants. (laughs) It's fantastic. I mean, it is really interesting because obviously this is a team uh, largely with uh, parents, new parents, relatively new parents. I mean, with lots of young people um, kicking about. Um, but maybe let's talk about another new thing that is coming into the world or another redevelopment. Um, your team has been really busy preparing for something new. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about it? Maybe you can go later. Yeah, it was new and not new at the same time because we launched Lifestyle and Interiors 10 years ago. So this is a little bit of a celebration for us too. Um, But during those 10 years, um, the meanings of lifestyle and interiors have really changed, as has the importance of interiors. So we decided to do a relaunch, a refocus, and uh, a curation, a brand new curation of the site. And so what's that going to look like for our clients? Well, I don't know if it's going to 
It's going to look differently, but it's mostly what we're focusing on, I would say, because lifestyle is one of those words that's used in so many different ways right now. And it used to mean a set of behaviors, but now it's a type of product. So we have, you know, under lifestyle, if you like Google it, you get a yoga mat, you get a cocktail shaker, a kitchen, lifestyle kitchens and plants. And these are really key products right now. And in a way, for a lot of people, these lifestyle products are more important than, you know, cars and watches. They're now, they've now become the aspirational products, things for the home. And to dive a little bit deeper into some of the shifts that are taking place, because obviously this year has been hugely transformational for most people, really. And I just wanted to start uh, the conversation off by really looking into what's changing in how we live well, I'll just, I'll kick it off and then we'll pass it over to my amazing um, team members. But I think what we're all trying to say here is that since the pandemic has brought the future at home, literally, um, the home now needs to accommodate so many different lifestyles, work lifestyles, play lifestyles, living lifestyles, kid lifestyles. And it has to be, the home has to be more flexible and modular in so many ways. Yeah, I would say that more than ever, the home is really what provides a sense of identity, of belonging and of uh, safety, if you want, from uh, whatever is happening in the outside world. So it becomes more important than ever, no matter how big or small the space, the home, even a room can become a home for certain people. And it becomes essential to surround yourself with the things that make you feel good. Uh, paying more attention to what used to be, you know, just a um, place of drop on, drop off, uh, kind of a transitional environment. Now it's where we do everything from. And so if, if we need to get good reasons to leave it, uh, we will seek the same reassurance and the same comforts when we go outside. One of the things that I was just thinking about as you were saying that is this idea of homes changing from being transitional spaces to being spaces that we're really, really invested in. And obviously, we have a lot of younger people uh, and younger generations, particularly from millennials and below, where we're seeing like rates of home, home, home ownership decline and things like that and less affordability around housing and lots of sort of... Um, Houses with roommates, even as we're getting older. So what does that mean from a living perspective? Like what should it, what sort of things should businesses be doing to approach that shift? I'm happy to talk about this. Um, I think, you know, if you look at young people in co-living situations, obviously there's a lack of privacy there, you know, and that can be a big issue for, you know, mental health, um, so we've seen bathrooms have really become even more key during the pandemic. We've been tracking the importance of bathrooms in the home for a few years now, but the pandemic has really accelerated this because it's sort of the only place in the home that's like your guarantee of privacy. So consumers, and especially that younger cohort, they're really investing in like these bathroom rituals. So like skincare and self-care, you know, they're like, there's a reason why the majority of TikTok videos are shot in the bathroom, in bathroom mirrors, because that's kind of the only privacy that young people are getting at the moment. And then for teenagers too, their bedrooms um, during lockdown, it's really uncomfortable for them because I have two teenagers to be there with their parents all the time. So they, you know, spend a lot of time in their bedroom shooting TikTok videos or beauty tutorials or I don't know what. There is um, a recent survey by a platform called Vipols that says that actually bedding tops the 
products that the, the Gen Z has been spending during the lockdown because the bed makes a home after all. So fresh, clean bedding has become kind of this status of I feel safe, I feel comfortable. Uh, I'm gonna spend, even if I have to spend the day in my bed, I can work from it, you know, uh, I feel good in it. And even the sale of mattresses have been going up. So alongside the bathroom, also the bedroom has become kind of a sanctuary for privacy at least. And even going so far as we were talking about the other day is the bed is actually a room in and of itself. If you've got a small bedroom, maybe your bed is your entire room. Or maybe you've got one of those amazing beds that just kind of curves around you with this really soft space that will clean the air and hold your plants in your, in your books and that sort of thing and just curve around you. And it becomes literally a bedroom. And it's really interesting that you're talking about this because obviously sleep has been such a key focus from a, a, a lifestyle perspective for some time because of the wellness benefits and all the other areas around that. So what are some of the other things around enhancing sleep from a lifestyle perspective that you're seeing? I think we're seeing our attitudes to technology changing a lot more quickly, particularly as now that we're at home and we're on Zooms all day, we're getting this Zoom fatigue, we're getting screen fatigue. There's this joke that you move from your work screen to your evening screen and then in between you have your phone screen. So our attitude to technology is we love it, but at a certain point we need to step away from it. So these kind of tech detox rituals that we've seen building up over the past few years are really accelerating now like so many other lifestyle trends at the moment and we're seeing things like people just simply putting their phone in a different room a couple of hours before bed and then really focusing on analog activities as they get ready for sleep conversely we're seeing a lot of people also using technology to help them sleep so there's an amazing platform called restflix which is netflix for sleep and it's um, media and programming that will actually help you relax and unwind. So recognizing the behavior that many of us use where we are watching TV in bed and falling asleep to TV, but then making the TV soothing enough that it actually helps us to sleep. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I thought that was quite interesting that I saw come out, which was like the new Apple Watches, which are, it still has like, like that quantified aspect around um, sleep and things like that. But it's not that tech heavy where with other apps, you can kind of see how you're going into REM and all that sort of stuff. But this is just really about encouraging good sleep habits, which is really a low tech response to a what has been like largely a quite a high tech solution to, to some extent. Um, so in terms of the actual physical space of the home, what is changing in terms of some of the shifts that we've seen as a result of the last six months through the pandemic? One thing that I think is really interesting is that for so long, we have been idealizing loft spaces, big spaces, you know, in workplaces as well, too, you know, this open office. We're realizing that is no longer so viable because we have, again, toddlers in the home, we've got teenagers in the home, we've got people doing different activities. So we're probably going to be going back to a home that's going to be a little bit more divided. And uh, that might be a specific separate room for different things, going back to the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, the bedroom, or maybe just, you know, you know, foldable screens or different ways of dividing up the home for different activities and different people. So kind of going back and away from that open loft space as being the ideal. And I think one of the things that you and I have discussed in the past that I found so fascinating that you were telling me about, which is which was really this idea of a decontamination space at the front of the home. Can you talk a little bit more about that? 
Yeah, the entryway is going to be the place where you can come in from the outside, seg into the inside, um, take off the, you know, the dirty things that you might have had, you know, if it's your shoes or if it's your watch or whatever, or your, your phone, and then get those decontaminated with UV lighting. Um, take off your coat and prepare for life at home. Kind of like what Sarah was saying earlier, you need to have more transitions and they can be physical transitions and they can be mental transitions at the same time. And the entryway will be that transition space. And to move on to another topic that we're seeing sort of emerge around the home and the future of the home is technology. And I was wondering what sort of role the smart home is going to play in the future of the house. This is a really interesting topic for us because the smart home has been promised for many, many years now. And we've been tracking it for many years now. And it's moved slower than a lot of analysts thought it would because the home is such a personal space. And it is seen as somewhere where we don't necessarily want too much tech because we already have so much. But during the pandemic, we've seen people get much more into the idea of bringing tech into their home because they've seen that tech is something that can really empower them and help them. And they've also spent so much time around their house. They're kind of sick of doing everything for themselves. So they're thinking, if I can get a device that helps me out with this, that would be great. So two of the big areas would be TVs. A lot of people spending money on smart TVs now, even more than phones, because they don't need smartphones so much at the moment because they really need their TV. They're using it all the time. And then the other area would be Gemma touched on safety earlier and safety and security are really top of mind because as we spend, as the home becomes even more important to us, it's this space we have to protect. So the top spending category in smart home is security systems, it's cameras, it's alarms. One of the unfortunate um, impacts of the pandemic is more outdoor burglaries. So alarms and cameras that track the outdoor spaces are really important for consumers as well. And it really taps back to that idea and that consumer shift that we've really seen in the last few months and even before that, actually, which is really that I, that fear narrative that we've seen emerging and, and that sort of fear of otherness and fear of being outside. Um I wanted to talk a little bit more about the tech side of things. I mean, what other sorts of tech are we seeing kind of emerge? Like, what is the future of things like, I guess, those in-home assistants and things like that? I mean, one of the things that I've thought about a lot is this idea of having one of those devices in my house. I'm not going to talk about the two brands that you would probably buy them from, but there are two. And, you know, it's that idea of shifting away from having a screen-led uh, interaction to a voice-led one, which obviously then gets me away from my screens. And then I'm sort of living in a slightly more humane, I guess, experience. Is that something that you're sort of seeing emerge, Sarah, or am I just, you know, living in a bubble by myself? Well, you are definitely at the front of this trend because you're one of the people at WGSN who has this anonymous smart assistant in their lives. So you're very much an expert as the consumer here. We're seeing that voice is becoming absolutely huge as an interface anyway, because it lends itself to being in the home. It's natural to speak to people inside your house. It's not so natural to speak to like your watch on the subway or wherever. So voice is very natural within the home. But we're actually looking further ahead at the moment to more intuitive AI. So AI that can actually sense what you want or what you need before you have to necessarily tell it. So the wearables that you talked about earlier, like the Apple Watch um, tracking sleep, for example, the next step for wearables, which we're starting to see in companies like Fitbit and Amazon, is actually tracking emotions, using biometrics to track emotions, and then applying those insights about how their owner is feeling to actually how the home responds to you or to, to, how, your, to how your design products respond to you. So maybe the bed becomes more embracing when you need some comfort, when you're stressed, or maybe the TV turns off if you're just really tired and the TV thinks it's time for you to go to bed, or 
There's loads of problems with this future that are going to have to be ironed out by um, ethicists, but it's a really exciting one in terms of design. So is it, I mean, obviously it's a lot more uh, sophisticated than Netflix telling me, uh, am I still watching this TV series when I've gone on a massive binge? But speaking of emotions, it was really interesting when we were in a conference call, I think with the sales teams um, a couple of months ago, we were talking about home robots, including the, um, the vacuum cleaners. And so many people were saying they had a name for their vacuum cleaner. And it's become something like a pet. So there are somewhat emotional feelings for these home robots. I mean, it's it, it, that idea of the emotional home absolutely fascinates me, but terrifies me so much at the same time. And I'm really curious to see how it evolves. To move on to another topic, uh, one of the other key topics that we wanted to cover off today is really around sustainability. And um, I really wanted to understand what are the evolutions in the sustainable home that we should be looking at in the coming years? Yeah, so I think in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a there was a general worry that like all of the progress that we had made with the consumer when it came to sustainability had been lost um, because people were just like, you know, there was a lot of Instagram evidence, photo evidence of just gloves being thrown on the ground and masks being thrown on the ground. And, you know, obviously that's a very surface level look at sustainability. But um, what we're seeing is consumers actually care much more about sustainability after the pandemic. I think that um, the pandemic has really highlighted um, around the world just problems within the supply chain and, um, you know, human rights issues with um, regarding sustainability. And so there is that fear that um, I think a lot of C-level people had that the consumer interest was completely gone. That's non-existent. They really, really still care about it. And we can see this um, in the way that people are investing now into um, the kitchens in particular, zero waste solutions in their kitchen, storage. Um, we, did a, we did a really wonderful feature in the beginning of the pandemic about the quarantine home and how um, uh, consumers are prepping, you know, their, their food in their kitchen and, um, and, and storing things and buying in bulk and trying to use every little last scrap of food to not waste things and then compost that and grow their garden. Um, so there's a lot more circularity in the home that we're seeing um, from the consumer that we weren't seeing before. Um, and I think Sarah will be able to speak to more of the top level ways that um, sustainability is affecting the consumer. But I think from a day-to-day basis, that's one of the things that we're really seeing, just them having it at the, at their, in their minds every single day in a way that we, that we didn't see before. That's all absolutely true. And I think the consumer sees the urgency of the climate crisis in a new way now. Uh, but I think brands also see the urgency of that as well. And I think that's a two-way street. So a priority for brands that is emerging now is really to look at the details of sustainability. So it's no longer enough to perhaps, you know, make a... Ret- um, um, it's no longer enough to make a product that's recyclable necessarily, but to really go into detail about how you recycle it. Can the components be taken apart? What's everything made of? How was everything made? I think brands are really responding now to consumers wanting to know all this information and they're feeling more comfortable sharing it because we're seeing a much more equitable debate opening up where brands have a conversation with consumers and consumers talk back. And Peter, I know you specialise in retail and business strategy. You've seen this happening across every industry and it's, it's now really hitting the interiors industry as well. 
Yeah, and I, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this because it's such an interesting topic. Um, to go back to you, Alison, I wanted to talk a little bit more around some of the behaviours, the, the more sustainable behaviours that we were seeing uh, through the pandemic. Because I think one of the things that um, that occurred to me as you were speaking was this idea around zero waste, composting, making sure that things are being done in the right way at home is really a, a function of actually being at home a little bit more than perhaps we were before. And it's about sort of that having that time to think about things is that a fair assessment and can you talk a little bit more about some of those behaviors yeah absolutely so I think I think it's unfair. I think there's an unfair generalization to say that people necessarily have more time on their hands. I know I for one don't, <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but I think that there's um, not necessarily time, but a mindfulness that took place um, where you know if if you were doing those normal routines from from before, where you're waking up every day at the same time, going to the office, you know, dropping your kid off at school, going to the office, doing your work, you're kind of on autopilot and. The, um, the pandemic really shifted that and forced people out of their daily routines. And so in that, they were taking a closer look at, you know, the ways in which they were consuming um, and the ways that they were buying. And so I think particularly when it comes to just um, if we look at the kitchen, for example, that idea of sustainability in the beginning really sprung out of need and almost this idea of survivalism um, and being worried that people weren't going to be able to find, you know, fresh produce at the store or, um, or plastic bags or something like that. And so it sprung from that. And then the mindset shifted once, once these things were readily available again, the mindset shifted and the consumer is now starting to think, oh, I actually, I, I was fine before, you know, making my own bread. I'm just going to start making my own bread. Or I was, I was fine before, um, during the pandemic, um, you know, I grew, I grew, um, I propagated onions in my kitchen. I'm going to start doing that now because that's something that brought me joy and, you know, it added some mindfulness to my life. And so I think that there's sort of this, this mindset shift to just slower lifestyles and being able, there's something to be said for the consumer making something themselves in a way that they never did before. Um, that's adding to their, their daily routines and, and their self-worth. But also adding on to that, I think a complementary aspect is also that spending more time at home, you pay more attention to the things that you use every day. You may, before maybe you were just, you know, leaving the house and going to grab a coffee outside. Now you need to make coffee every day. So you value the fact that you need a good coffee maker. You realize that having good bedding or good towels make a world of difference. Or you want something that is durable, that you can use every day and you can trust and you can have for a longer time. So something that, you know, just buy on a whim and then whatever, if it breaks in three months, the knife handle or something is not sustainable anymore. It, the consumer perception of value of products have def has definitely changed for good. So that's another aspect that is impacting the way that we experience the home and how sustainable lifestyles are changing. Now that we're heading into recession as well, that is even more important because we know there are finite resources, there's finite budgets. And so that whole idea of sustainability is going to be more about practicality and frugality, but in a more mindful way that makes it pleasant because now it's aspirational. So that's the good news. It doesn't feel um, frustrating. It feels actually uplifting. I would also just add that I think before 
the focus with sustainability was having so much more to do with materials and supply chain and carbon neutral footprint and all of that. And what we've seen in in the pandemic is a shift toward, towards more of a humanist view of sustainability and people really thinking about how the way that they live their life affects the community, how how the way that they shop affects the people working in those stores. Um, people are much more attuned to their immediate environment than before, their neighbors, the local shops, the, the well-being of the people around them. There's a direct correlation now between like the businesses that they shop in and those businesses shuttering. And I think that's important to look at as well. And I wanted to ask you, Alison, because this is slightly off topic to where I want to go with this, because you, what you've said is absolutely so on the nail, uh, hits the nail on the head. But I, and I want to discuss it even further. But one of the things I remember seeing on your Instagram recently was some of the purchases that people made during the pandemic. And um, what were some of the things that you saw in that sort of research? Because I, I think that uh, some of the questions you asked and some of the things that people came back with were so fascinating. Yes. I mean, I'm in no way, shape or form, um, an influencer, but I have, you know, a few hundred followers and I was just really interested to know what people were buying during the pandemic. Um, and so I asked my, my group and, um, you know, I would say about 20 percent, 20% of people answered. And the biggest takeaways were, um, as Gemma had said before, things like bedding, bath, investing in really good towels. Like there, there was no, there was no price too high when it came to towels. Um, people were all about comfort. That was a big thing. Um, entertaining children was top of mind for at least you know my my circle. Um, so things like outdoor baby pools, um, play sets for outdoor, that type of thing. And then one of the one of the big other things was very expensive self care, whether that was like some sort of. Um, massager, like a Theragun type of thing. So like a post-workout massager or um, a, a be- something regarding beauty, like a steamer or a red light mask. Um, those were all the really, really big things that, that we saw. And one of the, one of the craziest um, <laughs> things that three people said was they got portraits, they commissioned portraits of their pets. <laughs> wow okay yeah that's, which that's was surprising surprising um but I also think you know you have to do what makes you happy during this time right down into something you said before, um, which was really around this idea of um, being more conscious of the impact of your spending and then making more mindful spending choices. Sarah, I wanted to talk to you about something that you and I have uh, discussed in the past, which is I see this sort of uh, tension emerging at the moment, which is really like, you know, we are being much more aware of where we spend, spending much more locally. But then I think the other thing that we have really seen is the opportunity around system shifts that can take place because, you know, obviously a lot of the world got shut down. And then so um, it changed a lot of our expectations around what can be done around sustainability and what businesses and what um, we can do from an activist consumer perspective around uh, channeling change and expecting change. On to our last section, which I ask all of our guests every episode. Um, I'd like to ask each of you how businesses should respond in a short term and a long term way to the shifts that we're seeing around interiors and around the home. Uh, Who would like to kick off? 
Um, so for the short term, I think, you know, particularly for retailers, it's so important to have a strong omni-channel presence. Um, you know, 70% of online shoppers have used some sort of omni-channel feature in the last six months. Um, so they're really needing to make sure that their back-end systems are aligning so that consumers can see the stock in real time and know what is available in store. Um, I think Target said that their curbside sales grew like 700% in the last quarter. So uh, the stores are almost morphing into like mini fulfillment centers. So it's really important that brands are investing in this. Um, in terms of the long term, I think it's also important that they be investing in their in their store associates and making sure that they have the tools and tech that they need to fulfill these orders and um and satisfy customers. Uh, if you look at if they're looking at historical data to see, you know, what times will be peak, so store so store associates are equipped. That's really important. Um, consumers are going to be shopping in stores less and less, so it's so important that when they do have an, a touch point with associate or customer service, that they're having a wonderful experience. Absolutely. And also making sure that those store associates are being well taken care of through what is a difficult period for all of us. Absolutely. I would say that from my point of view, looking at short term, complementing what Alison was saying is also um, getting closer to the customer. Now, more than ever, it's important to listen to them. So ways to uh, reach out, ask with uh, surveys, polls, engagement. It's, it's, it's a great way to actually understand what they need and how to respond to that quickly and efficiently. Helping them be well in their homes or their rooms, uh, uh, it becomes essential. It, it needs to be a priority. So not just products, but also services, ways to reach out to them to make them feel part of something will pay off in long-term loyalty. And then on the long term, we never say it enough, but investing in quality, in value, in products that have a narrative, uh, a connection to the territory and the, and the, and the community, as we said, it's a um, consider shifting the supply chain and bringing it closer to home. Maybe considering doing less newness and more betterness, if you forgive me the term. Um, also, this will translate into loyalty because consumer spending patterns that we just said, they're shifting for good. They, they will expect more uh, from the products at all scales and market, uh, market levels. So what brands need to do is anticipate that and start taking responsibility so that they have an authentic relationship, so that they, they are there for the, for the long term. I think these points are going to overlap quite a lot. But for the short term, I'd say amp up the coziness and the comfort, really tap into this nesting instinct, especially now that we're heading into winter and we're really looking to, to hibernate almost. And then in the long term, I would examine the self-care rituals of the future, examine where consumers are going with how they want to feel cared for in their home and outside of their home too, and then really design products that fit into that. And that can be entirely new products as well. So really take a, a design research approach to the future of emotion and comfort in the home. Ooh, fantastic. I look forward to hearing more about that. And Lisa, what about you? For me, this is more of kind of summing up of what we're talking about here and talking about the relaunch of lifestyle and interiors um, is short and long term. And again, it's getting back to the fact that um, lifestyle is so many things. It is an entire ecosystem of behaviors and products. And so 
If you are making a product or a service, if it's tech or decor or fashion or food or beauty, you need to know that that is connected to everything else for the consumer. The consumer is not just a beauty consumer or a food consumer, it's a lifestyle consumer. And so you need to know that your product is interconnected with every, every other product and service out there, and you need to have an idea of that bigger picture and how you fit in. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time out during what is an incredibly busy time for you all. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all soon. Thanks a lot. And that's all we have time for today. Thanks for listening to the WGSN podcast. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, then please subscribe to us. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. And if you really like what you heard, then please leave us a rating and review. It really does help us to get the word out there. In our next episode, Carla Basashi will be speaking to WGSN's Insight Director, Andrea Bell, on the future consumer. But in the interim, if you want to learn more about what we've been talking about today, then please head over to WGSN.com to find out how you can get access to much more insight and analysis. And if you're already a WGSN subscriber, head over to the site and keep your eyes peeled for November the 2nd, when the Alani product will be relaunched and the report with our research that was featured in this episode will be available. Thanks to our guests for being here. And I'd like to thank our show producers, Roland Bodnam and Bethan Ryder. And again, thank you for being here. Please stay well and healthy and we'll see you again soon. Bye.